Hey, Olivia. Welcome to Drunk of the Book Club. A podcast for lonely drunk bookcasters. Cheers. <laughs> what are you drinking? Um, that's a good question. A Chardonnay that one of my employees gifted me on her last day. Oh, that's sweet. She always gifts me with wine, which I'm not complaining. Damn, but is she not your employee anymore? No, I mean, she's going to work, like, as a contract employee for, because she's moving to L.A. Oh, cool. She help down there. Cool. She's not my employee anymore, but I got another bottle of wine out of it. Hey, okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah. What are you drinking? <laughs> I'm having a margarita. That Ooh. was too sour at first, but now it is not. But now it is good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mixing You're switching it up, though. Mixing it up. Do you want to talk? Tell us about what we read. Yeah. So um, we read Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me, which was, as I'm looking at the cover right now, a National Book Award winner, a number one New York Times bestseller, and according to Toni Morrison, hell yeah, required reading. So <laughs> I agree with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could I disagree with anything that Toni Morrison says? I was about to say, that would be like a really large statement. And you're like, <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I'm against Toni. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, never, 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 never. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, what uh, what is this book about? So it was a letter written to his son. Mm-hmm. Um where he talks about being black and blackness and what that means in America and kind of what that means elsewhere as well. Yeah. Um, And talks about what, like, how the black body is interpreted and treated and controlled throughout the U.S., um, and it's a letter to his son kind of explaining all of that and, uh, connecting what's happening, happening in modern day mm-hmm. to like his experiences as a child and how his son will experience these in different ways, but overall it's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really upsetting letter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anything else did I miss? No, I thought that was beautiful. He, yeah, it's like his letter, his words of wisdom, but like, it's not like a, like, it's not a pat like, oh, you know, do this and don't do that. It's very much also like an exploration um, of his life and his experiences and the experiences that um, I'm, I'm sure many black men and women, um, but he does mention the differences. He feels, he, uh-huh. he, I think he does a good job sometimes of reminding himself and his son about the differences um, uh-huh. of that experience, which obviously you and I don't personally experience, but right. I, you know, not to speak for you, but I felt like when I was reading this, it was, I guess, coming back to what Toni Morrison said, I was like, this is a book that I think, like, all white Americans should be required to read. Totally. There's, I was like just flipping back through before we like got on Skype. 
Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, I don't know if you can see, but, like, I flagged a bunch of different Oh, places. yeah. Yes. I don't, like, remember why on each one, but I think it was, like, little things that he said or ways that he described it. But one that I still remembered is that um, he said something to his son, like, you don't have the privilege to ignore this. Mm. And I think that that's a thing that a lot of white people have. Oh, yeah. Is privilege to ignore what's happening and so that's why I totally agree that this should be required reading totally Um, because that's I mean privilege in itself is usually unfair and that's a very unfair privilege totally totally Um, but there are a lot of like like I said just the way he well he says from the very beginning, I think, like, this is not a letter to tell you that it's all going to be okay. Mm, yeah. I, um, but some of the ways that he explains feelings were super powerful, and I think that's mostly what I have flagged, is, mm. like, his feelings when that white woman pushes his son. And, right. like, his feelings when he, or, like, his reactions when he sees the boy pull out a gun when he's a boy Mm -hmm. you know and putting those like reactions and feelings and emotions into words in a way that like doesn't just uh make you feel for it but makes you like process what's happening I thought was really uh powerful yeah definitely I feel like you were talking about how you um flagged a bunch of pages yeah. So I started reading the book, and I think I didn't have um, – oh, no, I did. So I started from the beginning with, like, a pile of little sticky notes next to me and yeah. my pen. And I found myself, like, literally, if you can see this, uh-huh. underlining and writing sticky notes on, I think, every single page. Yeah. And then there was a section where I was uh, I was in my class and it was like this reading time and I had like misplaced my sticky notes and so I had yeah. just read for a section and I like had to go back and re like underline and leave notes on the places that I didn't have a chance to leave sticky notes on because I was really feeling like I wanted to read this um, very actively. And so I found myself underlining so many things and I'm sure, you know, handing this off to somebody else, it, you know, it wouldn't mean the same thing because I was underlining and making notes that were mostly like me in, in conversation almost, um, like primarily agreeing obviously. Um, and also sometimes, you know, trying to make connections between different things that he had said. Um, But yeah, the experience for me was definitely like I really, really needed and wanted to be engaged. And it was like, I think maybe because it is in this letter format. What is that? Epistemology? Epistemological? Um, It felt very conversational, obviously, because that's the tone he takes. And I know he's not writing to me. Um, but it did make me feel really connected to, to what he was saying. Not that it's like, as in my experiences, but because I really felt like the text itself was super duper, um, 
it required to be in com- it required like me as a reader to be in conversation as I read. Yeah. No, I think that's I felt very similarly. Um, I'm trying to like look back over these one that I can find right off the page. Um, as an example, is this line he says they were rebelling against the history books that spoke of black people only as sentimental firsts. Mm. Oh, it's page forty three. Yeah. Um, First black five-star general, first black congressman, first black mayor. And this is the part that got me. He said, always presented in the bemused manner of a category of trivial pursuit. Yeah. And so, and that's what I mean by, like, taking things and making them so basic and simple. These, like, really, I mean, they're not complex, but these really heavy ideas and these really... You know, he's, like, taking these experiences and finding a way to, not this is what he's trying to do, but, like, so that they're relatable to everybody or that, like, we can understand more truly what's happening. And Mm -hmm. that's how I felt through a lot of this. And, yeah, very conversational in a fact where I read that and I was like, oh, I've always felt that there was an issue with being like the first blank something the Mm -hmm. first woman to do this the first man to do this the first black man to do this but then putting that like relating it to a game was um I think what I needed to figure out why that felt so wrong Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah but he just does such a great job at really laying it out yeah and he explores you know, obviously that idea, um, at various points. And this is what I think he does a really great job of doing is like telling the story of his own, um, experience and learning process. And he starts with, you know, experiences that he had as a boy. And then when he goes to Howard, his kind of awakening, but then even beyond that, as he continues to like live and grow in the world and becomes like a writer and has a son, how his understandings shift. And I like, I really think he does a great job of, of, of telling that story, his kind of like genesis and exploration and evolution as a person um without necessarily like it's he's not this book is not necessary it's not like somebody saying here's a manifesto of my like static beliefs like it's very much uh an exploration of his process of learning and growing and experiencing the world as a black man but yeah. first as a black child and then as a black father and I really like how it's extremely dynamic yeah there that reminded me I like we talked about before <laughs> we started recording I read this a long time ago it's taken us a little bit to get back from the recording but um, right. there was one part where he's talking about becoming a father and he says something like there was time before you and there was time after you and you're my God that I never had belief in Mm. and how his whole life and his like perspective on everything life uh, has changed from the birth of his son. Um, I don't even know where that would be, but I think that his um, relating everything back to his own child and the dynamic between father and son um, was also really 
interesting to me, and I think in a way because I feel similarly mm-hmm. about becoming a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there was one part where he says something like, your mother and I brought you into life and you didn't even have a vote, mm-hmm. so it's my job to take care of you, like, wholeheartedly. Right. Um, and I don't know. I just, I felt really connected to all of those relations, and it, again, helped connect throughout the whole letter. Definitely. Um, and see the way that he cares for his son and tries to provide and watch out for him. Yeah, and he, but he also, too, and you kind of brought that up with, like, the woman who shoved his son, brings yeah. up, like, the, like, obviously neither you nor I are parents, and so, like, you know, our understanding is not through, like, our own personal experience of being parents, but I think that we can probably, like, you know, understand theoretically that, like, fear, right, of being a parent and, you know, just... I've, like, heard people say, like, it's, like, when you're a parent, like, your heart now lives outside of your body, right? It's, like, out in the world, and it's needing to be protected, but it's also kind of outside of your control. But he brings up the fact that, like, yes, there obviously is that that any parent can relate to, but there's these additional layers that, you know, like, as a person of color, as a black man with a black son, there is so much more to it there's like additional layers and he talks about like I think I when you were talking I may have found this but like and he's like very blunt I think this is page, this is page 82 he says um he's kind of talking about how like black parents can be really really uh like harsh on their children mm-hmm. and kind of addressing like the he says um the old mantra, either I can beat him or the police. And so he said, um, black people love their children with a kind of obsession. You are all we have and you come to us endangered. I think we would like to kill you ourselves before seeing you killed by the streets that America made. This is a philosophy of the disembodied, of a people who control nothing, who can protect nothing, and who are made to fear not just the criminals among them, but the police who lord over them. And so that, like, is a level of fear that, um, like, obviously white parents have, like, intense fear of, like, what's going to happen to their children out in the world. I think that's part of being a parent. But, like, this additional layer, which he kind of talks about this again and again, about this idea of, like, having to be so concerned about, like, your body's safety and your bodily autonomy takes up so much energy, so much more time and space in your brain and your soul and it's just something that I don't think that like people who don't experience that we can like conceptualize of it but I don't think that we could ever fully experience what that is like right totally well and like I think women can can understand it a little bit more than like white men Mm -hmm. um because we also have to be aware of our bodies at all times, but it's such a different level because we have to be aware of our bodies in terms of, like, human-to-human interaction, not at the level of, like, government and America versus my body. Yeah. Um, In some ways, but not the same. Right, yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's like taking what we experience and magnifying it times an unbelievable amount. Um, and, and think of black women. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, he talks about, like, the black body not being your own, well, his own, his son's mm-hmm. own, a lot throughout. I mean, I feel like that's the main point of this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just there's so many different ways that that can be taken. Well, and the fact that when he does speak up to that woman, that white woman, and all of the people come around and start defending her. Right. And I think one man says, like, I could have you arrested. Yeah. And he talks about that part for a few pages, too. And yeah. And he's like, it's not that he said you can, I could have you arrested. He's saying that your son's first memories will be of the police who killed this person and this person and this person. Like. Yeah attacking your body right yeah exactly i think it's i think i found it it's like around page 95 yeah 95 is i could have you arrested he said which is to say one of your son's earliest memories oh man i don't know how to say his name will be watching the men who sodomized abner Luima mm-hmm. and shook anthony baez cuff club tase and break you yeah Oh, and he talks, that's right, and he talks about not knowing the rules there. Mm-hmm. He's getting the rules. Yeah. And that's another thing that he talks about a lot. Like, yes. Knowing the rules of the streets, knowing the rules of school. Right. Um, knowing when he goes to Paris, like, knowing, not knowing what the rules are there. Right. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. It's like, he had forgotten the rules of Manhattan. Right. The rules for him in particular. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like, it's hard to talk about this book the way we usually talk about books, where we, like, joke and, like, make connections and, like, we're getting a little tipsy and being goofy. Like, I just don't – there's, like, not a space for it there, which is, like, completely as it should be. Totally. Um, And, you know, for such a, like, thin book, it's – it packs such a serious punch. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I feel obviously the same. That's why on my way home today, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. I, don't really have, I don't feel like this is a book where we can start on one topic and go into, like, just dive into it or, like, connect it to whatever. Or, right. You know, start storytelling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... This was a great book. It, yes, should be required reading. Yeah. It took ideas and com- concepts that I would like to believe that I understood mm-hmm. and make it more, made me understand it more. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was, it felt super vulnerable too. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting for all of his comments on like protecting the body and protecting who you are. Um, it felt it did felt feel really vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's a lot of great moments in it, but I don't really know how to make it more than it already is. Like it's already 
enough. I know. It's kind of like I just want to be like, okay, here's the episode. Like, everybody go read it. Like, yeah. if you've been putting it off, like, stop putting it off. And actually, that's something where, like, I have had this book on my nightstand for way, way too long. Like, I don't remember how long, but I have had it. And I can't even remember. I think I think I had asked for it for Christmas. Not this past Christmas. I think, like, Christmas before. Or maybe my birthday. I don't know. And somebody yeah. had got it for me. And, um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I was feeling, like, some hesitancy because I knew, like, I knew what it was about and I had heard about it. And maybe I was, like, okay, I have to, like, work myself up to reading this. But once I started, I couldn't stop. Yeah. Like, and I mean, yeah, okay, so it makes me think about, like, in general, like, white people's hesitancy to talk about race and to talk about um, anything having to do with all of the experiences that he's talking about. And I think that it kind of raises the issue that, why was I hesitant to open it? Like, why did it take me so long? Um, and, and that's what he's saying, too. It's the privilege right. of being able to ignore it, right? Exactly. I don't have to engage in it because it's not my daily life. That's privilege that it's not my daily life. Yeah. I will say, when I was, like, reading this on BART, mm-hmm. I always read on BART. So I have, like, 20 minutes of people running around me to try and, like, read a book, right? Right. Um, the first day I brought it on BART, I saw another woman standing for the train, waiting for the train, reading it. Oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, I'm reading that book too. And she was like, I'm reading it for a book club. Oh! I am too. And then the train came and so we didn't like, you know, share information. Right. But then I saw three other people reading it. Whoa. Just like either walking down the street holding it or like reading it on a train or like drive like on a bus going past. Yeah. Damn. And this came out like a bit ago. Came out when? 2015. 2015. Interesting. Interesting. I wonder if it's like, because I actually hadn't heard of it. And so, yeah, I don't know, like maybe it's making a resurgence or yeah. maybe everyone is always reading it all the time. Yeah. Maybe you just didn't notice before. Yeah. Weird. But That's really cool. interesting. Yeah. That is super cool. I also, um... As a teacher and somebody who works in education, um, this section in school about his experience of school and how school has failed so many people, which is, like, the truth, and that's the whole reason that I got into education, um, and just, like, the different ways that kids are educated and, um depending on race, ethnicity, and, you know, socioeconomic status is, is super real. And that was, that was a a good reminder for me of, you know, what my, what my purpose and calling is in my, um, profession. Yeah, totally. Oh, one point I wanted to talk about, I think he mostly talks about this in the beginning, maybe in the first page, and then I think once more towards the end, he says something about something about people who believe they're white or something. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. But he refers to white people, especially in the beginning, as like not people who are white, but mm. people who. Uh, 
Let me see. That was what I originally was going to search for on my way home. Oh, yeah. I was preparing, but... Oh, here. First to second page. Oh. The host wished to know why I felt that white America's progress, or rather the progress of those Americans who believe that they are white, was built on looting and violence. And he says that a couple times in the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. People, Americans who believe they are white. Hmm. And so I, I feel like there was a couple times where he kind of talks about, like, blackness in the same way, where he's like, blood is not black, skin is not black. Right. And it feels, to me, as a white person, mm-hmm. um, when I was reading it, it, it seems like a way of saying I don't see race, which is not what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But that's what made me a little bit confused about hmm. that wording. Right. I was like, I don't know what it means by Americans who believe they're white. I mean, I don't remember. Though, I mean, those, I didn't underline that specifically, and it didn't stand out to me at the time. But, I mean, I guess what I can imagine is just, like, you know, the complicated history of race and the fact that, obviously, it is a construct, but you can't right. just be like, it's a construct, it's not real, and, like, right. ignore willfully ignore the reality of its effects like the fact that race yeah totally is constructed however like the way that our society's understanding of race manifests itself is through extremely inequitable means and systems so like maybe he's kind of alluding to the idea that if you if you acknowledge or if you if you assert that like race is not a construct, you can also assert that, you know, there are fundamental differences between the races and use that as a tool for oppression. Um, That reminds me, though, of um, the amazing uh, podcast, Seeing White. Is that what it's called? He keeps saying in this section, um, who believe that they are white was built on looting and violence. Hearing this, I felt an old, indistinct sadness well up in me. The answer to this question is the record of the believers themselves. And so, again, he's referring to white people as the believers. There, right. right? They believe that they're white. Right. Just, I mean, and it is like a form of a form of protection for oneself and control of others. Yeah. Um, the podcast that I was tar- thinking about is um, called Scene on Radio, S-C-E. N-E, like a scene. Oh, yeah. Um, but the guy who does it, it's John Buen or something like that. Buen. Oh. Um, he did a really amazing series called Seeing White. That's what it was. Oh, okay. Um, and he's a white man, and he, like, explores the construct of whiteness, right? Because, like, all the time we're always talking about, like, what is blackness? But, um, right. But have the privilege of not having to or, you know, maybe wanting to explore, like, what is whiteness. So yeah. it was an amazing – I really, really, really enjoyed that series. And I would totally encourage our listeners, all of you millions, um, to totally <laughs> – so It's called what? Scene on Radio. Okay. Like a scene, S-C-E-N-E. And then um, if you go back to, like, the available episodes and start with, like, um, 
they're all labeled specifically, like, in parentheses. It says seeing one – or seeing white part one, part two, part three. So, like, um, Turning the Lens is the first episode in the Seeing White series, and it's really, yeah. really, really good, and I would totally, totally encourage everybody to listen to it. Nice. Yeah. Um, do we have anything else to talk about this book? Um, basically, I would just say this is definitely a must-read. This yeah. is definitely, like, a – Buy a couple copies and, like, leave them in public spaces so people grab them and start reading them. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Um, I feel like this is my comment on most of the books that we've been reading lately, (laughs) but I want to read it again. Yeah. (laughs) Because all I did was flag pages, and I want to actually sit and, like, read it and take notes like you did. Yeah. Uh, And, yeah, it should be required reading. It's only, what, 150 pages? Totally. Pick it up and read it. Totally. Yeah, why? (laughs) You're going to feel a lot in those 152 pages, but, like, it's not a fat book. No, it's totally readable. And don't be like me and stupid and, like, it's going to be heavy. Like, just, excuse me, I have to burp. (laughs) Just start. (laughs) Just start it. Don't be lame. Or, that's that's ableist. Don't be a, a pain in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> Just read it. Right. Agreed. Totally agreed. Just read it. And my, so the final essay that my ninth grade students had to write mm-hmm. for their final was arguing either for or against the inclusion of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet in the ninth grade curriculum, oh. um, which was really fun to read those papers, but... My thought is like, okay, we're still reading Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Why can't we include a little Ta-Nehisi Coates in the curriculum? Like you said, it's a very short book. We have room. Totally. (laughs) Maybe we could bump some Romeo and Juliet because (laughs) it's a good story, but it's a hard read. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard read. I'm reading Shakespeare in college, I was like, what? What? Yeah. A lot of my students, their argument was like, hey, listen, we enjoyed the, like, themes of Shakespeare's, or of Romeo and Juliet. We enjoyed the drama of it, but, like, the language was hard, and we think that it should be something that, like, people should be allowed to come to in college when they, like, want to challenge themselves. Yeah, totally. 100%. Because, like, Jesus. <laughs> At 18 years old, I still was like, what? Yeah, okay. I think that like it was hard. Um So, yeah, drunkers get reading and follow us on Instagram. We'll try to be better about posting. Don't we have like a Twitter? Follow us on Twitter. Yeah, we do have a Twitter. Um check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever. iTunes. iTunes. I think we have an email address. We do. Drunk of the book at Gmail. Basically, if you go to social media and you search drunk of the book, if we have an account, we'll be there. Yeah, we'll be there. We don't have a MySpace, so don't do that. That's a great point. We do not have a MySpace. Although maybe we should. I was just thinking that. Maybe we should hit hit up the old space, the MySpace. (laughs) By next podcast, we'll be back on the space. Yeah, so be fair. We're on the or space. Because <laughs> that's what everybody called it back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll get skunk hair. We'll do our eyes up real dark. 
Yeah, and just, like, sad. So sad. Yeah. And the thing is, you didn't even have to do filters back then because the cameras were so bad that, like, everybody's skin looked great. (laughs) I know. Ugh, okay, well. Let's get get reading. reading. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Empty glass cheers.